It's a delight and a joy for Denise, Brooklyn, and I to be back today at Pippin, as we're often thankful for your opportunity to allow us to proclaim the gospel in other places. There is certainly no place like home, and we enjoy always being able to come back to our church family and our church home. And certainly thankful as we are for Brother Harold and the lesson he brought forth last Lord's Day morning, all the goodness that was shared forth in the scriptures on that occasion. And certainly we're delighted to be back today to give some additional thought to worshiping, of course, with our church family here. Indeed, as you give thought to perhaps that title to the lesson that, that is actually in the bulletin, as well as the one that's on the wall here to my left, you might have noted from the text read from Genesis chapter 11, taking us back to the scene of the Tower of Babel, that some of the things found there are rather familiar and there are some things found in that text that we shall employ today to challenge us in our thinking about the life and times of the Pippin Church of Christ. It is with that in mind that some introductory thoughts could certainly be useful. Might I ask you to think about the matter of growth as it's so often found in the Word of God? We can see that in some of the ways in which that's found, growth is highlighted and in fact even demanded in our personal lives. In 1 Peter 2 verses 1 and 2, we there in fact read, it as we are to lay aside all malice, guile, and other matters, he quickly says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And as if that weren't enough, we can well recall in verse 18 of 2 Peter 3, that there we're told, Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In fact, there are passages that challenge us when we have failed to grow as we might have had occasion and as we might have had the opportunity to do. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Those texts then of Hebrews 5 verses 12 to 14 have set the stage for other verses that talk about growth in a different way. The growth of the church. Wasn't it the Lord who said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, verses 15 and following. But yet if one obeys the gospel, he's added to the church, Acts 2.47. And so the Bible speaks about the growth of the church. Not only growth, of course, of that universal body, but local growth of the blessed body of Christ in a particular community. I would invite you to think with me this morning about that local growth of the church and ask, could you and I do here what is described in the book of Acts? In Acts 5.14, for example, we read on that occasion that many, both men and women, believed and obeyed the gospel. In Acts 6 verse 7, we find that the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. So there was a local congregation and the number multiplied greatly. What today might be said about the Pippin Church? Our number, could it multiply greatly? If it, that were to happen, what would be some things that you and I must keep in mind? 
And thus it will be that degree and that order to which we'll turn our attention this morning. As we do that, some thoughts about where I would ask us to give consideration. I've tried to highlight on that slide some things that probably are not surprising or new, but nonetheless, things that we should keep in mind. We at Pippin have been blessed over the last couple of years, especially with growth, numerical growth. We are not the same size numerically that we were just two years ago. There are individuals who have placed their membership with us, families who have come our way. There are more visitors who tend to be in attendance at our services on a more regular basis. All the while, that implies there's been some numerical growth and how thankful to God we can be for that blessing and for that experience. What's more, perhaps we can make argument there's been some spiritual growth. We haven't certainly polled the number, but our contribution is larger now. And it seems as if that increase does not directly relate to just the numerical part. But perhaps as one appreciates the attendance at Bible studies, this number on occasion is also larger, helping us appreciate that there has been some meaningful and real growth. And again, we could never thank God enough to allow us the position and the opportunity to experience that kind of growth. But to say that also says this, with any growth in terms of an organization, there's almost bound to be the potential for problems the potential for issues and troubles that can arise and disturb the body. Thus, give some thought to these. Some obvious ones might be this. If a particular body were to grow enough, maybe its facilities would no longer be sufficient to meet the needs of those assembled on that occasion. It may need more parking. It may need a larger building in which to meet. You'll give thought, of course, to hear it pipping. Our elders have taken the directive to help make sure that those matters are taken care of. Beyond that, new programs might be needed to meet the needs of those new who have come our way. You can give thought then to those are places where issues and troubles can't arise. But even beyond that, there's always new ideas from those people newly who have come our way. Needless to say then, as we hear those new ideas and strive to meet those needs that are in fact expressed, that can lead to a strife and a tension as new resources have to be stretched in these additional ways. Maybe the way in which most problems would tend to arise would be this. Those expectations that are stated or maybe not stated in the mind of some who have come to that new organization. They become dissatisfied because they sense that their particular needs are not of prime concern. They're dissatisfied because what takes place doesn't suit what their viewpoints are. They perhaps become dissatisfied because they sense that they're not the center of that attention. After all, in many instances, the world hungers for attention, doesn't it? People like to, in fact, have the directness of their senses and their needs fully and completely met. And if those new were to sense that that wasn't going to be true, they may become dissatisfied and thus quickly leave just as quickly as they came. Perhaps in addition, you might notice that particular concerns may be raised. Maybe those, those that are new may sense, well, I really wouldn't have spent the money of the treasury that way. 
I wouldn't have devoted that much money to that pursuit of mission work. And so there arises disagreements in which different people have different ideas on the way they would have done things. And those disagreements soon lead to greater senses of division. And again, the harmony that once existed may well be lost. To say all that is perhaps to take us to the bottom of that slide in which the sense of unity may then no longer be present. You see, any group that experiences growth must be aware of the potential for those new things that can arise that they have not faced previously. How will those new matters be faced and will the unity that once existed continue to do so and allow even greater growth to occur? This morning, let us give thought to these issues as we apply them to the Pippin Church of Christ and think about growth that may yet come in our future and what must be true if that is to prevail. First of all, let's revisit that scene in Genesis 11 and seek to find in that some words whereby it can assist us in thinking about that growth. As we do that, the scene of the Tower of Babel is, of course, a familiar and interesting one to us. Verse number 1 began it by saying that the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And these individuals, as they journeyed on that occasion, they found the plain of Shinar a particularly good location in which they could in fact remain. Though God had given the directive to spread abroad and cover the earth, the human beings on that occasion had a different goal. They found that we would prefer to stay here. We like this place. We prefer this place. We can in unity remain here, build us a city, build us a tower, and make us a name. Did you notice in verse 4? They did want to make themselves a name. They were interested in thus on this location of solidifying their position so that they could leave a namesake. And so that they, in their unity and in their concert, could proceed to develop a society they wanted. It will be our note then that in the aftermath of that, God had a very different viewpoint. You'll notice in verse 6, the Lord said something. Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. With the reality of their unity, they had begun on this project that was very notable. Notable in the sense that they were thus going to build this tower that would reach into heaven, and it was to be associated with the city. Their unity of language and their unity of common purpose had led to the directness of those activities, but it was not in accordance to God's will. He confounded their language and the building procedure stopped. And as verse number 9 summarizes it, that gave it this name of Babel. I would invite you then to give some thought to applying some lessons from that passage to the Pippin Church of Christ today. We have just noted that we've been blessed with some growth over the last couple of years or so. But now might we ask, if this growth is to be maintained, if our number is to remain in this fashion so that we don't lose individuals who have come our way, and if we are in a position to continue to meet their needs, what are some things that we as a church must recognize and that we must put in place? May I submit three things that we shall consider this morning, and here's the first one. These applications to church growth, and may we suggest that there is a need, an essentiality related to them. 
And the first one on our list takes us back to Genesis 11. Communication. A conveyance or sharing of information. You'll notice that in this scene of Genesis 11, because there was this one language, and because there was this one speech, and because there was a unity of this particular accomplishment, they set about on a significant undertaking, that building again of both a city and a tower. Might we in fact in that see an impressive reality for our church today? The need for communication. The first point might well be this one. It's very important, of course, for the elders to communicate with the membership so that all are in a common vein with a common purpose and a common goal. We all can share in accomplishing the particular mission that the elders in accordance to the Word of God have set forth for us. It does make sense in that realization, doesn't it? The elders are not the only ones, of course, on the march and journey toward heaven. All of us are. We are blessed with their leadership. But they must convey to us, as they do, the desire for the particular accomplishment of works that they deem vital. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, in verses 1 through 4, we read in a way about that communication of the elders toward the membership. In verse number 2 in particular, doesn't it there read for us? that in fact, feed the flock which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. But then he goes on to say, not of constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In the readiness of their mind, they thus desire among us. Did you notice it does say among us? highlighting and indicating a communication toward us of the vision that they have, the accomplishment of the work of God that they have in mind. And we're blessed as we have elders that here at Pippin have those business meetings from time to time and share with us in the bulletin and in other ways those matters that they wish each of us to appreciate and to know. But may we notice, too, that that communication works also in the other direction. We must communicate with them. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12, we recall that Paul, that inspired penman, as he gave reference to that church in Thessalonica, he there said, Brethren, that ye may know them that labor among you and admonish you in the Lord. He did use, didn't he, that word know. Not as if you have some distant, far-reached appreciation of knowledge, but you really know them and you esteem them highly for their work. And so just as surely as they communicate to us, we must have a readiness and an implementation to communicate to them. In fact, you'll notice in some of these additional passages, in Romans 12 verses 9 and following, look at the way this communication is highlighted. Let love be without dissimulation. But he went on to say, in terms of be kindly affectioned one to another, in brotherly love preferring one another, distributing to the necessity of saints. In fact, he even asserts in that same chapter that we should be of a mindset to weep with those that, that weep and to rejoice with those that rejoice. How can you and I celebrate with a fellow Christian if we don't know that there's cause for celebration? How can we offer a hand of support and aid if we don't know that they're in need? How can we, in fact, prefer one another if we never communicate with each other? 
And so it is, as we do lift high the note of communication, it will assist us in carrying forth that motivation of love spoken of so often by our Savior and highlighted by so many New Testament writers. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. John 13, 34. And two chapters later in John 15, 12, the Lord again asserted that you're to love one another as I have loved you. Did Jesus communicate with His apostles? Did He communicate then with the other disciples and believers who in multitude so often followed? He did, of course. And so you and I should thus appreciate also the real need and the high value that can be placed upon simple communication. Because isn't it true that some of these things will follow if there is the no, no communication? Isn't it true that a sense of distrust can arise? A sense of dissatisfaction associated with that there's a party spirit, that those elders are only interested in that family or those people, but they don't really care about others. Or the elders can gain a sense too that there is a sense of division when that sense of communication is not present. I would invite you to give note that at the very least, at the very least, there's likely to be an unwillingness to work together when that sense of communication is not there. For isn't it still true that a whisperer separateth very friends? Proverbs 16:28. As we give some thought to the reality of communication, what might be another consideration drawn again from that scene of Genesis 11 that can be of benefit to us as we think about movement in the Pippin Church of Christ. What about unity? As long as there was that sense of notable unity, that Tower of Babel proceeded on its way, but God stopped it before it could get too far. What could they have accomplished when they were united in common goal, in common purpose, in significant unity? Might we, in fact, make application of that to our circumstance here? The Pippin Church of Christ. When you and I maintain and pursue that unity, a common bond and a common goal, exemplified in the very notion of unity, where might it take us? Some thoughts from these verses. In Ephesians 4 verse 3, wasn't it true on that occasion as Paul spoke about that platform of unity, he said, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It should be our goal to that endeavor. We should strive to maintain a common harmony, a common bond with a unity toward one common goal. And if that be the description of us, God will bless us with continued growth, I'm persuaded. He will bless us with a great bounty of good feelings with regard to what does exist here and what can yet exist in the years that lay ahead. Might we notice in John 17 verses 20 and 21 that the Son of God, even in Gethsemane, with the shadow of the cross shortly in His future, He said, Neither pray I for these alone, there he was speaking to the apostles. He said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for all them which shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one, that they may be one. Even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may know that thou hast sent me. The Lord prayed that there would be a sense of unity 
and a sense of harmony that would prevail among His followers, those that would be His disciples. We have enjoyed harmony at Pippin, but may it ever continue. And may we appreciate that it is a necessity if this growth is to continue. Other verses that in fact will challenge each of us toward that end would be these. It is true that this degree of unity mustn't, mustn't just exist within the eldership, nor must it exist only in a small subset of the church. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, it would assert all of us must feel the appreciation of that unity. Listen, in fact, how Paul asserted it in that passage. In 1 Corinthians 1, the particular church there in Corinth was guilty, in fact, unfortunate if we should say, of a party kind of spirit. And when I say party, I mean that in the sense of pursuing various individuals. You might remember some were saying that I am of Apollos, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. That particular spirit in which there was no sense of unity, they were following individuals rather than a common goal of following the Master. That not only was not good, it was sinful. In fact, in verse number 10, Paul thus wrote, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. They were to be perfectly joined together, not somewhat, not occasionally, not every now and then, but he said perfectly joined together. There was to be a prevailing sense of unity and harmony that was easy for the world and those outside to appreciate. As you give thought to that degree of unity, it too was a vital part in the growth of that congregation, if it was to grow at all. Furthermore, you might notice in Matthew 12, verse 25, even Jesus echoed some sentiments that the world has often remembered but failed to appreciate and failed to implement. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. When Abraham Lincoln borrowed that and used it in his Civil War speeches back in the middle part of, or the early part of the 1860s, he was highlighting that if North continues to fight South, this nation will ultimately crumble and dissolve. May we note, though, that the Lord applied it to the church and to His kingdom. May we ask, how are we applying that today? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. A house divided against itself is sure to fall. We at Pippin, as we've been blessed with this growth, may we appreciate the need for unity to ensure that we, in fact, continue to meet the spiritual needs of one and all, and that perhaps God will continue to bring other individuals our way so that they too can be exposed to the truth and in fact have that privilege of coming to know God more fully through the revelation of His Word. It will be noted as you come near the bottom of that section, this of course flies in the direct face of selfishness. As we understand that which is of the highest regard, of course, is the will of God, not my will. And in fact, the idea of selfishness must be set aside, mustn't it, in the interest of the common unity associated with the teaching of the Word of God. Is it any wonder then that when they at Babel in Genesis 11:4 wanted to make themselves a name, they were directly opposing God's will? And today when you and I lift high our will, my will, your will, 
and we in fact run roughshod over the decrees of the Scripture, and we give no thought to what would be the common need for the church, we of course will be moving in a direction where unity is destroyed. And unity will not be the prevailing thought of the hour and of the day. In fact, I would ask you to notice in Philippians 2.3 as well as Romans 12.3 passages that set these ideas before us. First of all, the Philippians text. We are admonished, in fact, to look everyone on the needs of another more so than themselves. And in Romans 12.3, not to think more highly of self than we ought. Because after all, we should in fact think according to the grace given unto every man. Should we not then realize that not only is unity vital, it in fact will be the centerpiece of what will be that which brings glory and honor to God. One might then close with this third point. What will be the prevailing standard and guide for that unity? And that brings us to this third thought. Commitment. In that text in Genesis 11 regarding the Tower of Babel and that city that was found on that occasion, you'll notice in verses 3 and 4 that they were committed. It was in fact opposite God's will, but nonetheless they were committed to the appreciation of making this city for us, our purposes and our needs. And as such, that commitment even led God to say, what now are they going to be able to do next? In the infinity of His wisdom, God recognized that their commitment was going to lead them to proceed to even greater things opposite His will, apparently. And thus God confounded their language. Might you and I give some thought, of course, also to this matter of commitment. As we've noted earlier, when new faces come our way, when that growth has been experienced, they will bring new ideas, they will bring new viewpoints, they will bring new approaches. All the while, both they and we must thus be firmly grounded in a commitment to the way of God. It's not us versus them. It's not them versus we. It is a commitment to what the Lord has proclaimed and His way as the one and only way. And as long as there's commitment to that, there will be unity. Unity will be a direct byproduct of it because there's commitment to a common theme and a common word, and a common destination. But might we notice some passages that in fact even more directly challenge us in this regard. You'll notice that there is certainly then in light of new ideas and new viewpoints, there will be those opportunities for frustration. When what I have stated is not the way the elders choose to pursue that particular work, they choose some other way that in their estimation is better, it's more effective, it's more efficient perhaps. So rather than personal frustration, there should thus be never an idea of quitting, but an appreciation of commitment to the goal of what we appreciate revealed in the Word of God. In 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Many things could be highlighted based on that passage. First, steadfast and unmovability. The degree that I'm not going to quit. That if the particular work or program is pursued in a way different than my idea, 
That's fine as long as the work is pursued. What's more, he went on to say, in the work of the Lord. The prime labor and work of the church is not secular activity, is it? It is not anything aside from the pursuit of the work of God. He did say, didn't he, abounding in the work of the Lord. To what end? For as much as you know your labor, not in vain. Though the world may look dimly upon it, and though others may in fact cast a dark cloud over it, it is not in vain when done in harmony and in unity with the Word of God and carried out in a way that brings the glory and the honor to Him. And thus we can perhaps see that this matter of commitment is a very thorough and basic foundation for growth as it has occurred and any growth that shall of course continue. As the Bible so often reminds us, if one steps aside though from that commitment and proceeds to water it in different ways, taking it in different ways apart from commitment to the truth, we find an exact example in Galatians of some who did that. In the Galatian letter, these individuals were of a position to fall from grace because they had left aside Christ and proceeded to pursue something else. And may I suggest and submit, we would be in no better position than they. We too would fall from grace with the glory and grandeur of what God has provided if we too fail to be committed to that truth of God in the gospel. That degree of commitment perhaps seen in the relation of how it produces work. Our faithfulness and our commitment seen in the livelihood of the works in which we engage. Many examples could be listed, but these few are the ones that I've selected for us to consider. In Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10, Whatever thy hands findeth to do, do it with thy might. And in that example of the building associated with Jerusalem, even though the temple had lain dormant, they had begun the construction, but they had stopped because they turned their attention to build their own houses and take care of their own perceived needs. We find that the prophet Haggai challenged them, Consider your ways, Haggai chapter 1. And in the closing verse of that chapter, they had considered their ways, and in a matter of a mere three weeks, they had done more on the work of the temple than they had done in previous years. They had been stirred to action and to work based on the reality of what the prophet had declared. And as such, they labored, and they labored, in fact, frequently and often and incessantly. Another example, the building of the walls of Jerusalem. As Nehemiah urged the group onward, they met with such opposition. There were those, of course, who did not wish Jerusalem rebuilt. They didn't want the wall completed. And so they hindered the work of Nehemiah. Enemies stood round about, it seems, night and day, but it didn't stop the work. The work went onward despite the opposition, and in a mere 52 days the wall was completed. What could have been done in 52 days? Who would have thought it? But the building was finished. What can be done here in the months and years that are ahead of us with the growth that has been blessedly come our way? May God continue to be with us as we strive to not only share in communication, but we do so with unity and with commitment. Because after all, those ideas would summarize our lesson this morning. What happened at Babel, of course, has a very dark side to it in the sense that they opposed God's will. 
They were skilled builders, but they built oppositely and in opposition to what God had decreed. And even though we can see the value of communication in what they did, and we can see the power of unity in their efforts, and we can see, of course, the commitment to their end, we have applied it today in a positive way, not a negative one. For you see, God confounded their activities and ultimately the building stopped. God would desire the building of the church to go onward and onward and onward. And if we in commitment and in unity and with concerted communication will pursue, God will continue to bless us with growth and may we reuse the resources He's given us to greater good and greater glory to His cause and name. That growth, of course, would challenge us to think about where we stand before the judgment bar of God. We mentioned at the outset that our numbers have grown, and we mentioned a growth in various other kinds of numbers as those on my right. But what does that say about you personally and me? Have you become a Christian? If you're here this morning, and in fact you've never obeyed the sweet name of Jesus, the Lord is wishing above all things today to add you to the role of the church. I can't do that. Our elders can't do that. But Christ Jesus can because it's His church and it's His body. He would love nothing more today than to see you faithfully at His side. That requires your obedience to, of course, the gospel call of invitation. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of sins. All things are ready. If you and I, or if we could assist you in carrying out that today, we'd be honored to do it. If you have become a faithful member of the body of Christ, but you no longer are, you have perhaps failed in the matter of unity. You have since distanced yourself from this congregation because you wanted to go your own way. Realize that that was really Satan working in your life. You need to, in fact, quickly give him the exit, put the Lord back on the throne, and come back to your first love today. If we could be of assistance in praying on your behalf, we'd be honored to do that. We would only ask that you let us know in what way that we can be of assistance and that you would do that while together we stand and while we sing.